Good afternoon. Happy Easter, everyone, and why don't we just do it again? He has risen. Yes, awesome. Welcome to Radiant. If this is your first time with us, we believe that Radiant Church is a family of missionary servants sent to make and be disciples who make more disciples. And so we see this time when we gather on Sunday as, as part of what we do. So we gather, we proclaim the gospel through singing, through the preaching of the word, but we also do it through the conversations that we have with one another before and after our time of gathering. That's just the beginning of it. We believe that we're the church 24-7, that we live it out. It's not just a place that we go to, but it's a people. And we do that through our gospel communities. During the week, we gather all across the borough that's, that, that's our surrounding area, and the intention is, is our small groups, our gospel communities, are lights of the gospel within our communities. And if you're wanting to know more about that, we got a little sheet that's out on the welcome table. You can see our gospel communities, the times they meet, and roughly what area they meet in. So today, it's Easter. We get to celebrate, we get to announce the fact that Jesus rose again on the third day after dying upon the cross and taking um, the punishment we deserved for our sins. It's a, it's a beautiful time. And it, it reminds me a lot of, of Christmas, Christmas Eve and those holiday seasons because oftentimes it can be like this little bit of peace in the amongst of a, a chaotic week, a chaotic month, or honestly a chaotic life. But it's so easy because you have that little bit of peace, if you get that, and then you're right back into the chaos. And to understand the victory of the resurrection, we have to contemplate the, the darkness that occurred on Saturday. And what I mean by that is Jesus Christ, he died on a Friday, but then he's in the tomb on a Saturday. And then Sunday morning, he comes out of that tomb. And so this hope stands in contrast often with the darkness that we see in our world today. And so I'm going to welcome you into that a little bit by using a metaphor, um, the doomsday clock. So if you don't know what that is, let me give you a little bit of a history lesson. 1947, Albert Einstein was a scientist who worked on the atomic bomb, and they realized that the destructive capability of nuclear weapons put the world in threat. And so they created this art piece. It was a clock. And it was a help give a warning to world leaders to say, hey, we have to be careful with how we use these weapons because it could lead to the destruction of the world. And so from that time, they would unveil the clock every year and they would give an approximate time of when doomsday would approach. It could be like 17 minutes till midnight. It could be 15 minutes till midnight, and they would do this every year, and it began to grow in its metaphor as there was more global awareness of different things. Not only did you have the, the threat of nuclear weapons, but then you'd have things like even recently, coronavirus and disease, and you'd have things like climate change and how the earth, uh, how we interact with the earth and what that looks like. And so they unveiled the clock just a couple of months ago, and they said it's 100 seconds till midnight. Now, those aren't 100 actual seconds, just, just to calm me down a little bit. But it's supposed to be that warning of like, hey, everyone, we're like in a dangerous situation as a world and we need to wake up. But as I thought about this, man, what a weight that puts upon the world, right? It's like we're constantly just trying to move that 
clock hand back so we can feel as if there's safety. And it's like this, this ticking of a clock that's constantly on your mind. Um, maybe even imagine like a chain connected to this clock and it's, it's weighing down the world. And the message is, is like, hey, we got to keep that doom away. Now, to bring it down to our personal lives, even honestly with my personal week, is we face darkness. It's almost like times it feels like we have our own personal doomsday clock that's hanging around our neck because we've got different things that are driving our life, whether it's deadlines, whether it's relationships, things that aren't going well in life, and and sometimes there can even be a date associated with that. It's like, man, when this date arrives, I have no idea whether I'm going to be healthy or operating well or in a great relationship or not, or all these worries, anxieties can pile up, and it's, again, like a, a clock chained around your neck that's just ticking, ticking, ticking. So imagine that for a minute, and maybe you can relate immediately with that image. So imagine the relief if that chain was cut and the clock falls from your neck. You're no longer weighed down by doom. That's the point behind the resurrection because that was our future until Christ walked out of that empty grave. And that's what we get to celebrate today. That's what we get to explore. So the message today is that we can be delivered and set free from the darkness of sin and death and we can live in that deliverance every day. Would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 1? And we're just looking at two verses today. It's verse 13 and verse 14. This is what it says. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we want to come humbly This is your word, God. And as we seek to come underneath it and to explore it for all that it's worth, we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts to hear you today. God, where maybe we have stopped up our ears, where maybe we have lost sight of you in the midst of our week, where maybe we're living underneath doom or death or sin, Jesus, would your resurrection just sing in our hearts today? For those who are imprisoned, would they be set free? God, for those who are living underneath death, would they find life in you today, that your word is true and that we have it to relish in this afternoon. God, we thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the privilege to be able to sing, to be able to worship with the word, to be able to have genuine fellowship with one another this afternoon. We thank you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So Colossians, it's a book in the Bible that's a letter if you, don't, if you haven't thought much about what that means, these letters back in ancient times would be read in front of a church. So they'd send a letter, and then they'd just read right verbatim from it. It was encouragement, exhortation for the church to be able to be dependent upon Jesus. The two verses that I read are bold and powerful statement that set up the rest of the letter and of what Paul is writing to the, to the church, to the followers of Jesus who are in the city of Colossae. And it it, it drives a message home. But the reason he starts with such a bold statement is because the church was wrestling with the domain of darkness. 
So I, I want to sit on that word for a minute, domain, and what that looks like. If you can imagine like an area where power and control are exerted. So it's like if you walk into a prison. You've got the prisoners who are within that, and then the, the, the guards and the staff that are there exert control and power over the inmates who live there. And so Paul's conveying that where you are without Jesus is under the reign and control, the dominion of darkness. So later on in this passage, in this letter, Paul starts unwinding what that darkness looks like. So Colossians 2 verse 4, it says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And then jumping a little bit further, Colossians 2.8, it says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So the first thing that he's addressing, if you, if you know anything about kind of the ancient Mediterranean world, is Greek culture was the thing. People looked to Greek culture not only for language, but they looked to it for influence and, and how it impacted their regular life. And there was this um, lifting up of human reason and knowledge, that that became something that could replace Jesus in the lives of those who were following him that by their own logic, by their own reason, they could determine their life. So that's one aspect. If you jump a little farther down in chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And so what he's hitting here is another angle. People who are coming in with their own religion. They're defining religion. They're saying, you need to live this way, X, Y, and Z. And, and that's how you really know that you're an actual believer, an actual follower of Jesus. And so you have these two aspects that are at war, two aspects of darkness. One is human reasoning and intellect. But then there's also this moral aspect of humanity, that we can live rightly on our own without Jesus defining for us what is good in what is right. So to help you understand this a little bit more, and the reason I bring this up is because these people who lived 2,000 years ago struggle with the same kinds of problems that we struggle with today. There's a book I read recently by Cornelius Plantiga, and he says this, our core problem, says St. Augustine, is that the human heart, ignoring God, turns in on itself tries to lift itself up, wants to please itself, and ends up debasing itself. So it's this reality that when we put ourselves in control, whether that's in control of our morals, in control of our reasoning, and we're an authority unto ourselves, it actually leads to corruption. And that's where I want to press a little bit into this darkness, that sin isn't just simply actions that we do, but it's a corruption that invades our lives and the lives of others and even our own world. So the, think about even back to the beginning, back to Genesis, back to when Adam and Eve were the first created humans. They were in a perfect relationship with God. They rebelled against him. They decided to usurp God's authority and chose to set themselves up as the authority. And think about what that means. God, 
Who is he? He's, he's the creator. He's the one who gave them life. He's the one who gave them purpose, identity. He's the one who gave them all things that are good. And so imagine like, it's like an air hose that Adam and Eve ripped out so that they were no longer connected to the source. So what's the result when you take away death, identity, and all these things? It results in death, ultimately. Death physically, death spiritually. And so, no wonder that we live in 2022 and we got a doomsday clock to remind us of the corruption of what sin does. Like, think about it. It's looking at the corruption of leaders. It's this warning cry of, hey, leaders, don't use nuclear bombs to destroy each other, which you would think reasonable human beings would naturally not want to torch each other. And yet, the corruption of sin is so deep that we lead ourselves to that again and again, so we're constantly near this doomsday. But it's more than that, too. It's the corruption of humanity, the corruption of earth, and so that's why they're concerned about Climate change, what's going to happen if the earth is not enough for the people who live here? And what happens if we run out of resources? Where do we go from there? Well, we look to the cross. Because at the cross, we see the culmination of darkness. So Matthew 27, 45 through 46, gives us a window into what was happening on the cross. It says this in Matthew 27, starting in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So what we have here is a physical darkness. I believe probably a divine eclipse. Three hours of it, and and, and it just serves to hit the metaphor of what's going on in the cross, a physical darkness. Continue on to the next verse. In about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this gets to the spiritual darkness. See, we believe that Jesus is fully God, fully man. That he came into our broken reality, experienced life, for the purpose of going to the cross because we deserve death. We cut ourselves off from God. We cut ourselves off from the source of life and identity, and yet he comes in to graciously take our place. But to the point that he even takes on the separation that occurred between us and God. You see, God is triune, one God, three persons. And everyone tries to explain it in so many different ways because he's above us and incredibly awesome. The way in this passage I would encourage you to think of it is because of who God is, he is the most relational being out there. Think of how close you are in various relationships, how close a husband and wife can be, how close you can be to a friend, and imagine that like times infinity and you're getting closer to understanding what the Trinity is. And yet here is Jesus crying out because of the relational break, the spiritual darkness that has come upon the cross because he stood in our place. He was on the cross in our place. And it continues from there. Physical darkness embraced the world. Spiritual darkness comes, and it culminates in the tomb. 
Jesus dies the physical death, and then his body's taken. He's put in a tomb. If you don't know what a tomb is, it's like the best way I could describe it is a nice cavern that's been hewn out into stone, and his body is put in there. A stone is rolled over the entrance, and it's sealed. So imagine maybe being within that tomb. Imagine that kind of darkness sealed in and the depth to which that is representing the physical and spiritual darkness, the sin that came upon Jesus, the price he was willing to pay on our behalf. That's the power of darkness. So we're going to move from the power of darkness to look at the power of deliverance. So if you go back to Colossians what we're given in that passage is there is a domain of darkness in verse 13. It says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we're going to look at some of these key words and how it defines the power of deliverance. First of all, just the word deliver. It's amazing when you take simple words and think a little bit more about them, they can reveal some powerful truths. So delivered is like this powerful force that takes you from one place to another. The best way, especially if you've lived in Alaska for a while, there's this river called the Copper River. It's a little town called Chitna. So if you've ever heard people talking about Chitna, they're going down to the Copper River, they're dip netting, and that is an insanely powerful river, especially where you happen to be fishing. And if you know how powerful it is, you'll hear these warnings. I was given a warning about it when I first went dip netting there. I'd heard people talking about, like, yeah, man, people die there every year. And I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. And then I got down there and started realizing, like, oh, no, I could actually die if I fall into this river because it's that powerful. Now imagine that with the deliverance of Jesus. That kind of power that you can't resist that takes you towards a destination. And that's where we get the word transferred. So transferred, we're familiar with that a little bit in our culture, right, is maybe you're in a job, you get transferred to another destination, move from one place to another. Or a situation has transferred, Some, a change has occurred. And so we see that there's a transference coming on where we're no longer a part of the dominion of darkness. We've been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's Jesus. And that means that we're no longer under the authority and the power and the strength of darkness. Instead, we come under the power and authority and the strength of the son, under the power and strength and authority of Jesus Christ. And what kind of authority is that? Look at John 8, 34 through 36. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's a statement. That is a powerful statement, much like the, these two verses that we're reading in Colossians. So we've been delivered, we've been transferred, but then we see that Jesus is the one and his authority and his reign brings us that redemption and the forgiveness of sins. In many ways, those two things, redemption, forgiveness of sins, 
make us go back to the cross, make us go back to his resurrection and the life it provides. Redemption. This word speaks of someone who's like a benefactor to you. So imagine you're a slave and underneath a slave master, a slave master of darkness, Jesus comes in and he says, I'm going to pay the debt that's required for this man over here, for this woman over here. And that debt that we had to pay was death. That was the debt. And Jesus then steps to the cross. He says, no, I'm going to die in place. And so through that, our price is paid for. But what if Jesus didn't rise again? What if that resurrection never happened? Well, then the death on the cross would have been pointless. Jesus would not have had authority over darkness, and that's where we come to forgiveness of sins. And thinking about forgiveness of sins, imagine if you've ever been in a relationship where there's been a severe break and someone's willing to genuinely forgive you. Look in the eye and say, yeah, you hurt me. Yes, you sinned against me, but you are forgiven. My, my wife and I have had to practice this in some ways because it feels really awkward when, like, you mess up because of my pride. It's easy to be like, I don't want to admit that I've done wrong. I don't want to have to say that because, honestly, I look stupid and I look foolish. But, man, when you're able to get to that point where it's like, all right, I'll eat the humility, and then you're able to genuinely look in the person's eye and say, will you forgive me? And they look back at you and say, yes, you are forgiven. There's power within that. And so, too, is there power in the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Jesus calls us. When we put our faith in him, we are called forgiven instead of sinner. He calls you a son instead of an enemy. You are a citizen of heaven and not a citizen of darkness. On top of that, when we look at the power of deliverance, that power is final. It's not a question mark. That's what I love about this verse. He has delivered us. There's no question. There's no if and or maybe. Deliverance is final. There's no may. It's not like God lacks capability. And it's something that we can trust in. This is why Jesus would say in John 20, 10, 27 through 30, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never per perish. And no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Deliverance is final. And so I wonder where you may be at today. We live in a country and a culture where there's still a lot of churches. You can even walk in Fairbanks. You can probably within a stone's throw of one church or three, four other churches sometimes. And yet it's real easy to just walk in on a Sunday, get a little bit of knowledge, get a little bit of nicety, and then walk away, and it, it never actually comes to your heart. It's not actually something you're dependent on. You're still living in darkness. And maybe you even came here this afternoon looking for something, hoping for something, and Jesus promises that you can be delivered from darkness, that that is assured. And the way that happens is through the gospel. In fact, that's even how... Paul starts this letter, if you back up to chapter 3, 
or sorry, verse 3 in chapter 1, it says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So what is that good gospel message? That's what we're here to proclaim today. It's the fact that Jesus took your place on the cross, that he saw that, yeah, you were corrupt in and of yourself. The corruption of the world testifies to that, and if you know yourself well enough, you know, yeah, you're corrupt just like I am. And that's why he had to come and die in your place, to remove the corruption of sin, to give you life eternally, to hook you back up in relationship with the one true God. And so what faith in Jesus Christ looks like is to live your life under his good rule, power, and authority. That you're not living under the power and authority of darkness. Instead, you're transferring. You're getting out of that and you're saying, no, I'm all in for pursuing Jesus and what his ways and what he calls me to do because that's where you'll find purpose again. That's where you'll find life eternally. That's where you'll find your identity, your true identity. But it's more than that, too, because the gospel isn't just this one-time thing. It's a life that is lived out. And that's why not only can we be delivered, but we can also live delivered every day. So the two verses we've been looking at, Colossians 1, 13 through 14, that statement is at the end of a prayer. And within that prayer, Paul's praying over the church, praying that they would live delivered. So if you look at verse 9, that's the start of the prayer. It says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So he first is asking and telling them, like, live delivered in your mind. Just like your, your mind and your will are corrupt, we see that in this world and the way it goes. He says, no, God, can, you can live delivered within your mind, trusting in God's will. And look what it does. When you trust in the Father's will, then not only are you able to increase in the knowledge of God, but that knowledge actually influences your actions and how you live. This is why when Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because Jesus knows that's where we find life. That's where we find what we were meant to be is by living according to his will, not our own. Paul is praying for a growing passionate knowledge to infuse the church and combat the lies of the enemy. And through that, it impacts their very actions and how they live their life, which is why they're able to bear fruit in every good work. The second thing that Paul prays for in Living Delivered is that they be strengthened. This is in verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Being strengthened with all power. That's the power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. But notice what that power is used for. First of all, it's 
for endurance. Because when we put our faith in Jesus, we're not yet pulled out of this corrupt world. God's moving towards a glorious end, a glorious reality when he's going to come again. But we have to endure. But this is the beautiful part. Yeah, there's darkness all around, but we don't live under the weight of that darkness. In fact, we can live above it through endurance. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Along with endurance is we're able to have patience because we know this is not our end. We know that there's a glorious reality that is coming and we can wait through trials. We can wait through tough times because we know that Jesus was patient with us so we can also be patient with those around us with the reality that we're in. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says this, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And the final aspect where we see this power really come through is through joy. So I want to bring you back to that clock metaphor, that doomsday clock chained around your neck. And, and when it goes off, it's indicating, yeah, there's going to be doom, destruction, death. This is the reality of those who live delivered, is the clock's been replaced. You're no longer waiting for doom to come, you're waiting for the Lord Jesus to come. And that is something that you can be joyous about, even when life is tough and hard. You can be like, yes, Jesus is coming, and the deliverance he worked out through the cross will come into its fullness when he returns. And it will be great. As we read at the end of, of the Bible, at the very end, it talks about tears being wiped away, where there's no more corruption, there's no more sorrow, there's no more death. He has come. And so we live with that clock right around our neck. And it is joyous, and it is good, and we wait for Jesus to come. That's why Second Peter 3.13 says this, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so this is my encouragement to you. If you aren't following Christ, he offers you deliverance. If you're following and pursuing Jesus, you can live delivered today. And that's just the reality of even just this last week for me. You know, it's funny how, like, I even heard of this from friends where it's like, you want Easter to be special as a follower of Jesus. It's a great occasion, but yet your week leading up to that just can feel like, man, I feel like I'm under that darkness. And, and all of a sudden, your eyes can just start to lower. And instead of looking up to Jesus and letting him guide you in your day-to-day, -day, it's like you're stepping back into a prison. The door is open. You're free. You can walk out of it, but you've allowed yourself. It's almost like picking up that clock and being like, all right, we're going to put this back on. And it doesn't take very long before you realize Man, this, this really isn't that great of a life, living without Jesus at the helm, without Jesus' power and authority and rule in my life. And that's why the encouragement is to live delivered. And so we're going to move into a time of communion. At Radiant, we take communion every week. And I've had a couple people ask me about that. Like, why, why do you do it every week? Because the gospel is that important. 
Because the gospel wasn't just for our salvation, but for our everyday life. And we need that reminder week in and week out that we stand forgiven because of the cross and the resurrection. And we stand in the hope of Jesus coming again. Communion is exactly that. It reminds us that Jesus' body was broken in our place. It reminds us that his blood was shed instead of our blood. And so what I encourage you is when, when the band comes up, we start playing. It's going to be a newer song that we haven't sung much before at Radiant. And I just encourage you, um, be still for a little bit. And maybe ask, am I living under that doomsday clock? What is that for you? Am I living entrapped by the power of darkness? And what a great time to be able to step right back out of the prison. The door is open for the believer. You don't have to live under that weight. You can live free in Christ, so live delivered. Bring that to Jesus in all humility and just be like, God, I give this to you. And then what's so beautiful is then you, you move and remember the lie of darkness and you move into light and you can celebrate. And that's why we respond with singing. So that we can get up when we've taken communion and remembered, yes, Jesus died on my behalf. I grew up seeing communion as this thing that was just kind of this weight and I only looked at my sin. But Jesus is trying to take you from looking at your sin to looking at his glorious power in resurrection so you can sing. Not only here with us, but when you move out of here that your life is a song proclaiming the gospel and you live delivered every day, hour by hour, because of the power of Christ. And we can proclaim that he has risen and I have risen with him. That's what we get to live. And so that's my encouragement to you as we move into a time of response. And if you're sitting here and you're realizing, man, I, I don't have that deliverance. And, and you want to know more. You need someone to pray with you. You're trying to figure out what does it look to live forgiven? What does it look to put faith in Jesus Christ? That's what we're here for. That's why we gather every week. And we're available. If you want to talk it over, if you want to pray, we'd love to do that with you. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll move into a time of communion and singing. Jesus, we get this special time during the year. And we thank you for it, where it just highlights the power of the resurrection. It highlights what you afforded to us because you walked into our world. You bore the death that we deserved. You gave us the life that we didn't deserve. And so I just pray, Jesus, that this gospel story doesn't grow old. That we see that it's more than just being delivered once, but we deliver, <laughs> we live delivered every day. And I just pray, God, like you spoke that into my heart this week. I pray you'd speak that into the heart of each person who is here. That we live in confidence of the power of deliverance and that it is so much greater than the power of darkness. God, equip us to be able to speak that deliverance, cry that forgiveness out to those who are still entrapped in darkness. Jesus, let this praise be to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.